0: Hello, good morning everyone. Welcome to the third and the final chapter of CEO Class Take for Good series. CEO Class is a global for impact initiative. We are all volunteers who aim to inspire young generation on their personal goals and growth. My name is Patita Asuna well as I am CEO Class Thailand Chapter Lead. And today, we are so happy to have Mr. Skelil, one of the Hello. founding members of Plan 2 to be chatting with us today morning Jessica how are you doing
1: Morning. I'm good thank you and yourself
0: I'm so good today as well Mm -hmm. talking to you you you're welcome and it's a great pleasure well for all the audience if you have any questions for Jessica please do not hesitate to go ahead to Q&A section and you can add yours in there so, Jessica, let's start with uh, a bit about introduction. Uh, your introduction. Would you please tell us about yourself, please?
1: Yeah, uh, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Jessica and I'm one of the founding members of Plantu. Uh, Plantu is a fintech company, um, uh, which is active in Hong Kong. Um, I'm originally from Taiwan, but I grew up in various places. So my background is in accounting and finance and after I graduated, I worked at PwC, HSBC, and YCP, and after that, you know, essentially joined Plan Two and and began working on kind of digital solutions, uh, personal finance solutions for um, both you know end customers and also banks as well. Um, so, like as mentioned, Plan Two is a fintech startup, and um, like many who work in in startups, my roles involved um, as a company grew bigger and. I started off by taking um, more focus on, on roles that uh, focused on products. And then as we grew and expanded our business into B2P, I took on more managing business clients um, and now kind of exploring other markets um, as well. And so one of the questions that you had um, was, um, who is Jessica Liu? And, you know, I'm still looking for an answer for that. Um, I mean, like everyone else, who I who I am really changes over over time. Mm-hmm. So 20 years ago, um, I would not have imagined myself, you know, being here at CEO class, sharing my experiences with an amazing and passionate audience. Um, I would not have expected kind of um, that I would have this opportunity to to go upstage and talk at Hong Kong FinTech Week or JK Morgan, you know, on, on behalf of of Pantu. And I certainly didn't think that, you know, I would go into um, let's say accounting and finance. Um, One of the questions you had was, you know, was it something that I pursued, um, as that I wanted to pursue as as a child? And I think, you know, um, no. (laughs) You know, for me, you know, uh, I was really an introverted person. I would say more on the artistic side and my interest really fell more into DT and, and architecture and in fact actually during my first year of university I wanted to transfer Um, but you know the Jessica again 10 years ago changed and and started to become a bit more risk averse and more practical and stuck with my degree for various reasons Um, I mean it's a degree that you know got me to where I am today which I'm super happy with Um, but uh, you know I went through a lot of different kind of um, job experiences because the degree offered kind of a broad range of work um, but despite you know these changes, I think what has been consistent throughout the years um, is that you know I've been inclined to working on things that are involved in innovation and, and improving businesses, um, and you know I think this is part. This is why you know I really love what I do now and and how it's shaped me as a person today as well.
0: Mm. It's was such a journey, isn't it? Yes, um, I was. Pretty, pretty <laughs> and, and for the, the architecture that you, you had interest do you still do it as a hobby? No,
1: actually, um, I, I, now I don't really have time because <laughs> we're kind of, <laughs> as a startup, we're kind of uh, working nearly every day, um, more so in the early years. And, and now my focus has, you know, being exposed to more tech and more people mm. who are in this industry. Um, I'm trying to develop skills in this area as well so that's been kind of my focus when I actually have time mm-hmm.
0: yeah. good and how about your experiences in, in different countries does it I mean had any influence on on mm-hmm. how you you be yourself right now or you know the way you think or the way you do things because you you spend time in 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 different culture you know Is yeah. it, Does it have any influence with you?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I think um, I'm kind of a standard, what you call a third culture kid. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, since I was seven, I've been to four different schools and different educations in in just a span of 10 years. And I think these experiences made me more um, empathetic to different cultures um, and different people. Mm -hmm. I do feel that um, I'm more prone to taking risks and embracing changes because that is one of the things that I feel has been constant um, you know, in, in my life and in my experiences. Um, I think one thing that I've learned the most um, is just how much you can achieve when one puts themselves or be become in a condition to leave their comfort zone um, and this has influenced me in different ways. Um, I'm a lot more open to learning new things, experiencing new things and I think one of the reasons why I was so comfortable with leaving my um, re- uh, previous job, which was a stable job, and go into a startup, and and just taking up different responsibilities within um, the company, um, is because of this trait of mine, which I think I've developed as um,
0: as a child. Uh, well, even though it it probably is difficult for you changing schools, changing I mean di- different environments in in a short period of time, but it, it helps you uh, have a positive side as well, I guess.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Like back then, um, I might think, oh, you know, I don't get to stay with my friends and all yeah. that, and, and studying was a bit of a pain because I had to go into a different education system, different languages, um, but looking back, I think um, it, it, it was really worth it and, and it shaped me as a person and, and contributed to where I am today, which I'm, I'm super happy with.
0: Well let's talk uh, a bit deeper about Plan 2. Can you explain a bit more what is Plan 2 and and what's the mission of of the company? Mm
1: -hmm. So Plan 2 is a fintech company Um, and if you're based in Hong Kong, um, I think most people may know us as a personal finance management app. So what we do is we basically, you know, um, if you have different bank accounts or other financial accounts like MPF or um, investments, we help users kind of aggregate it into one place and then give them a platform to uh, manage their finances and get advice on how to make sponsor money moves. So we use different type of like, technologies like um, aggregation, machine learning and, and AI um, and you know we're now currently serving more than 500k customers in our ecosystem. And since 2020, um, we've started working with different banks and other financial institutions in Hong Kong as well because they see our traction and and the whole um, kind of digitalization in the financial industry is has been pushed by, um, let's say, COVID. So, I mean, I think you can get the gist of like our mission is essentially um, to help end consumers to reach um, their financial uh, goals by making it easier for them to manage and plan around their finances. Um, either through enabling banks or via our um, own platforms. So we're active in Hong Kong and and we are kind of in Taiwan as well. And we're looking into other markets in Southeast Asia and other cities in GBA too. Um, So for us, you know, um, we don't, despite, you know, us saying that, you know, we we really focus on millennials, what we realized over time is that um, we're actually serving more and more people in different generations. Um, But we started off with uh, Millennials because, you know, the whole team and Plansio belonged into this segment. And we wanted to solve problems for ourselves um, when it came down to managing finances. I mean, it was difficult to kind of understand where our finances were because everything was in different accounts. And we don't know what was the best course of action based on our financial profile because there wasn't anything that was you know, digital or affordable uh, in the market that allowed us to do that. So, you know, we wanted to solve that problem for ourselves. And along the way, we discovered that, you know, many millennials that were you know our friends and our community were facing similar problems um, and finding it tedious and hard to manage their finances. So, you know, I started doing this and then validated the product in the market and then realized that, you know, it's not just millennials, but um, the younger generation and the older ones who are noticing this shift to digitalization find it useful as well.
0: Right, right. Well, you know what, in terms of, of technology, I believe many people, even, even younger generations, they find technology difficult to understand or even difficult to catch up with. So. In your opinion, what, what what would be your advice for, for those people to start from in terms of getting used to it? Or yeah. probably go ahead to have uh, education or knowledge on, on technology?
1: Right. So um, if you're talking about, let's say, consumer products, um, like mm. applications, um, if it's hard to use, it's not the fault of, um, well, I personally think it's not the fault of the end-user or, or the young generation, it's, it's the fault of the company that built it because they didn't focus on um, UI, UX. Um, but, you know, if I put it in the shoes of someone, let's say I know, um, dear to me, who struggles with technology, um, and not so much a younger generation, but just anyone trying to adopt technology when they're not really used to, used to it, um, I think it's about spending time, kind of getting comfortable with using different types of applications um, and with time it becomes intuitive and you mm-hmm. become more comfortable with being unfamiliar with new applications that you get exposed to since there are established UI UX series um, you know and standards that you know product people who, who build products around technologies have you know um, it's easy for people once they get used to using technology to adopt to new technologies as well um, and if you're talking about technology in terms of, let's say, programming, um, which is something that, you know, I'm trying to to learn myself to, even though I'm, I'm kind of old right now, but um, <laughs> uh, for me, it's really about, you know, managing your time. Um, and it's just about practice. And, and it's, you know, when it comes down to you know, programming, it, it does really come down to practice. I mean, there's only a very few people who are so talented, who can just adapt to it so quickly. But for most people, it's about practicing. And it's not about just taking classes, but actually doing real life projects. Um, let's say applying this kind of um, new skills that you learn into um, real problems that you're trying to solve um, in the market and then just practicing it, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's data science or whether it's, you know, if you're learning Python, um, you know, just build something so that you know where you need to improve. Um, for me, it's, it's a different type of learning because you know, I'm, I'm in a finance and accounting background. And for me, it's always learning about, it's textbook-like learning. But right. when it comes down to programming, it's about really, you know, doing projects and, and real-life places that you need to,
0: to build around. Um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Okay. So we have these questions uh, oh. from Catherine directly. <laughs> if I'm not a tech person, is it possible I start a tech startup? And how?
1: Oh yes, of course. <laughs> um, I, I'm well. I, I mean, I'm one of the founding members, and I'm not a tech person. But it's very important for a tech startup to have people who, let's say, have strong business skills as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a company is not just a tech company is not just made up from like made up of people who are computer science background. Um, they're made up of people who are good at fundraising. Who have good business acumen, who knows how to pitch ideas, who knows how to persuade or sell, um, you know what you're trying to to build, and those are really really important. And those are actually rare skills that you know. I would say finding the a good let's say CEO or a good um, you know uh, CFO or or person who's fundraising that that's difficult as well. I think mm-hmm. it's just as difficult as finding someone who is a good developer. So. And another thing is you don't have to be, if you want to work on the product side, even then you don't need to be really technical. Um, You can work on UI, UX, um, you can work on customer discovery processes, and that's super important because there's no point in building um, a product without understanding your customers. So I definitely encourage you to, you know, get into um, a tech startup, even if you're not a technical person yourself, and you can always do it.
0: everyone can learn
1: yeah
0: okay so we'll talk about again about technology so Mm -hmm. contrary to the benefit of having technology in finance do you think that there might be any negative side as well
1: oh definitely Um, I mean there's always downside to everything Um, but like I think for uh, fin- technology and finance. I think, like any industry, adopting let's say automation and anything related, um, anything related to that, no, there is this risk of technology replacing humans, um, making certain jobs that are redundant. Um, that's why they're saying AI is essentially driving the new industrial revolution. So um, you know, in finance, this could be you know applications that are replacing most of what RMs or relationship managers and just to give you a context, relationship managers are the people you see at branches or uh, in banks who, you know, manage their relationship with, let's say, um, their retail clients or their corporate clients. And, you know, in in the past, what they've essentially been working on most of the time is not only just talking to the clients or understanding the clients, but doing some, let's say, um, an Excel work now, let's say, the finances, whether or not you know they can actually afford, let's say, a loan from the company, or they can afford, let's say, a certain insurance products that they're trying to sell. And these can, assessments can essentially be done, um, replaced, if not be done better, um, by um, applications like machine learning. Um, and this replaces what RMs do, and, and you know traditionally, RMs, you know, they're a button in the market, a lot of people, banks, adopted them before. but. Now you see, especially with COVID, that there is a shift there mm-hmm. um, and another, you know, a negative I see is that, you know, the development of technology may leave a lot of people who are vulnerable, especially, you know, the elderly behind um, as services and banks are more focused on shifting on resources to adapt to younger generations like millennials. So there is this need to kind of identify new problems that might result because of technology and perhaps technology can help overcome that as well in future.
0: Yeah, it's it's something that happens in here in in Thailand as well. Uh, For the older generation, they have difficulty to get to, I mean, the news, especially during COVID, that they they have to register to get... uh, Vaccination and things like that. Yeah. So it, it's it's always later for them, even though they are the 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 groups that needs to be tended to. Exactly. Uh, earliest.
1: Yeah, and not every one, you know, not all elderly actually have young people supporting them as well. Yeah, so it right. becomes like a huge problem where there's no assistant, and yeah, it's it's pretty sad. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, uh, can you share with us uh, about the sh- big challenges in the past, or probably any setback that you have encountered uh, during your your startup journey, and and how you and your team uh, overcome this.
1: Mm. So um, this is more of a personal challenge, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I was thinking about it, and and there wasn't really, I would say, major you know challenges as a team that we faced. But personally, mm-hmm. I thought one of the biggest um, challenge I faced personally was. Uh, what we call imposter syndrome um Mm -hmm. so you know for those who might not be familiar with the term um it's basically a psychological pattern where you constantly doubt yourself your skills your accomplishments and you have this fear of like being exposed as a fraud Mm -hmm. um and it's really like related to the lack of confidence and and lack of self-esteem so i mean for me i think uh unconsciously I mean not unconscious but I think I've always had this but it was a a, a bigger issue for me in Plan 2 because when we started gaining traction um, we were invited to various speaking engagements so I was very fortunate to be involved in a few of them including let's say Hong Kong FinTech Week, JP Morgan and She Loves Tech where basically I'm I'm speaking in front of like 1,000 plus people and um, you know for me I've always somehow felt that I didn't deserve these opportunities. Um, Planto did, because um, as a team we worked really hard to where we were today, but not me. And, and it was a huge problem for me because I was always really stressed um, and had anxiety. And I think at, at back then it really affected the way I worked and my productivity too. Um, but I overcame this um, as I learned that you know through my friends, uh, one of them is Michelle, who is in the audience as well um, <laughs> she really helped me out um, um, i overcame as i learned that it was it was very common um, especially for women um, and i learned to accept the fact that it takes time to get rid of these feelings and to focus on what is important which is just doing your job and with time you know um i realized i really realized my value as um you know it's i i learned it's not just pure luck but there is this consistent pattern of positive feedback um, and I became a lot more confident with myself and I think for anyone who might be suffering from um, imposter syndrome, uh, syndrome, what really helped me was also one of the videos on YouTube uh, where Michelle Obama, I'm sure, is about how she deals with imposter syndrome mm. and I would highly recommend people watch it. Um, so.
0: Well, thank you for all that. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, talking about uh, COVID pandemic, mm. does it uh, leaves any effect uh, on Planto, and and how did you overcome uh, those pandemic effects, mm-hmm. or do or do you look at it as an opportunity for for the company?
1: Right. Um, so, the COVID pandemic, you know, has changed. Um, the fintech industry and especially Mm. um for banks um Mm. how the way they work i mean traditionally you know um if you look at the past banks were highly transactional in terms of how they service their clients they didn't really do much online let's say app or mobile or, or online banking you know you didn't get a lot of insights um and even just you know opening an account a lot of banks require you to go to their branches which i think as someone who is in a a generation where I'm so used to doing things digital it's just very a tedious process so um, the pandemic changed it um, and also at the same time you know in the case of Hong Kong the pandemic came in together um, with let's say the emergence of different virtual banks um, and fintech companies so competition was really fierce and this kind of pushed banks to to want to kind of want to be more competitive want to digitalize and you know for us it was a great opportunity um, because we are you know the in the retail sector we are really experienced in building digital platforms that you know consumers um, really want and need and we've done this research in the past three four years so um, for us it was a huge opportunity and it was part of the reason why Let's say we started our B2B business because banks approached us and they Mm -hmm. wanted us to help them on digital um, ML related projects. So for us, it was an opportunity. Um, Obviously, COVID is um, it's horrible, but um, it really did help with us in terms of grabbing opportunity. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, that was this kind of uh, time when we were hesitant about, you know, Adding an additional channel into our business, but you know, looking back now, it, it, it was the right direction to go in.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, is there any difficult decision you you had to make together with with the team during pandemic?
1: Um, I think I think one of the thing is is the difficult decision was kind of shifting. Um, Resources from original our core B2C application to something to a team where you know we focused on serving banks. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that was a really difficult decision for us because uh, our tech team, you know, we're we're a small team, we're a team of nine or ten, and we, if we wanted to service, let's say, our app users, which is around 15, uh, 150k users. Um, we needed resources to do that to fix bugs to develop products and all that and one of the most difficult decisions we had to make is how do we manage you know users at the same time service banks we could hire more people but for us you know working with banks is is a new thing and we didn't want to invest too much resources and risk you know firing people um, if it doesn't work out well so one thing we actually did was for those who use our app you know they would know that we started a subscription model the app was originally free but we started a subscription module because we figured you know we should fo- be focused on users who really needed our app and focus our let's say um uh, services or or time more on those users inside of everybody who's using our app occasionally and who needed bug fixes and everything so i think that's kind of, we, we were very hesitant about start, starting to charge people but it mm-hmm. was a way that worked for our model because we with our limited resources, um, and our new business model as well. well
0: okay, um, so we have another question for you from the mm. audience, so from Jess. How do you find your team? Have you, uh, do you have a team first or have an idea first then explore the team members to join?
1: We're very lucky in a sense that um, our team is actually composed of friends, um, mm-hmm. really close friends who shared kind of, uh, oh, thank you for the question, by the way, um, really close friends who shared kind of the same vision, um, you know, about what solution they wanted to solve. And um, just a backstory, like what I think is, is, is great about our team and, and not everybody, Startup is very fortunate to have is that every single person that is in the team actually plays a very important role. It's not just an additional hire, but um, you know they're they're core to to what makes you know Plan 2, I would say, uh, quite successful. Um, and I think what's really important um, in doing that, you know, let's say if if you're someone who is a lone founder right now and you're trying to build up a, a team. Uh, a a strong team, let's say a developer team or a fundraising team. Um, I think it's really important, um, a first step for this is to go out there and actually, you know, find a join, let's say Startup Weekend or join um, Founders Institute just to look at people who are actually passionate about the things that you do. And that's where that's the first step. But obviously, um, it's just it's it's not easy. Um, It's a continuous process. And I don't think you should just find someone because they say, oh, I want to do it. It's really about understanding, you know, if they have the capability to do it or if they have the commitment to do it. Because a lot of people want to start a startup because it sounds sexy. (laughs) But it's really Mm -hmm. not the case. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us thought of that when we started Plan 2. Um, We actually were just focused on problem solution and building that up. But there's a lot of startups who do that. And I think it's something to avoid. Um, it's definitely not easy. If For some people, it takes, let's say, a year or so to actually find the ideal founders um, and an ideal team. Um, but it's a time that is really needs to be put and invested in. Mm.
0: Well, another question is from from Jess for you. What is your advice on working in different countries? It is good to have more overseas uh, working experience and not just working only in in Hong Kong?
1: Hmm. So I think um, obviously ultimately it depends on what your goal is in life. Um, For me, what I advocate for is actually having as many different experiences as you can. Mm -hmm. If you get an opportunity to work overseas, um, definitely go for it because you will definitely learn new things and you will definitely learn new skills, new cultures and it makes you a lot more open-minded as well. Um, if you didn't get a chance to study overseas at university, then definitely do that for work. Um, it's going to be tough, um, and I think. Um, but you know, you'll find that this experience will be very valuable.
0: Well, when when talking about technology, I think most of the time we're talking about the future. So, Jessica, how do you see the future of financial technology in, let's say? Uh, five to to ten years and and what will be next for plan two as well in the in the future
1: Mm -hmm. so um fintech is obviously very broad um Mm -hmm. but you can essentially see that there's a pretty big shift in in traditional finance industry as key players you know start adopting more technology like blockchain ai machine learning into their operations and at the same time governments are actually pushing them to start you know, uh, the government's bodies are starting to build up more policies advocating for tech integration. So in the case of Hong Kong, um, which is, you know, where we're actually more familiar with Hong Kong, Taiwan, and um, some other cities in GBA as well. Um, In Hong Kong, you know, HKMA has started pushing for a lot of different initiatives for smart banking. And you can see that these will start to materialize in the next five or six years. Um, as they start encouraging banks to adopt more technology and an area which Plan 2 is very well versed in is, is open banking So, which is a banking practice that you know allows um, a customer to essentially uh, ability to have more control over their data and it provides third party financial service providers have access to their consumer banking data for example, your HSBC bank data can be um, shared with other applications or fintech apps, for example, like Plan2. So um, this gives consumers a lot more power over their data. And it's likely to um, you're likely to see a huge shift on how users actually manage their finances because of this, um, there'll be more fintechs trying to leverage opportunity or more banks trying to work with fintechs to see how they can better um, compete as well. So we, uh, you know, and yesterday, actually, um, the US also kind of, we saw news around how the US is trying to push for open open banking too. So there's going to be a lot of innovative use cases in different parts of um, you know this area. And I think one thing is that you'll see that banking will become more of a lifestyle thing, a lifestyle service, and not just something where you just make transactions on. So banks will probably start trying to integrate um, their technology, their applications more into let's say a user's lifestyle more than Mm -hmm. anything else so for planto um, i just see ourselves integrating more with this shift um, in the industry um, in hong kong as well as in other markets Um, our b2c app is essentially the model of open banking um, which banks can follow so our expertise in this area definitely you know especially with open banking apis um, will, will let us you know have this kind of comparative advantage of Kind of um, being integrated more with banks, um, as well as you know, having our application connect to more different data points as well.
0: Mm. It's very interesting to to look at it in the future. Now, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jessica, even though things are are changing gradually in terms of um, women in high ranking or in technology or in or in the area where it was not normal in the past. Uh, but still, there are not many women at all in in tech or in or, or are not as a female entrepreneur globally. Mm-hmm. But you are one of those. Uh, what do you think about it, and and how would you like to encourage young women to believe in their potential and to go beyond this this stereotype? Hmm.
1: So um, it's definitely an issue, and it's something yeah. that. You know i've been advocating for on this side since um you know, i joined plan two um you know because in the beginning you know i've i've noticed that there were very few females uh, female entrepreneurs in the market um and a lot fewer females actually that are in fintech um so like you mentioned you know even though we're seeing uh positive changes um a lot of uh people advocating for this change to like different um, societies or organizations like Women in Tech or She Loves Tech, really encouraging more people to get involved in this area. Um, I think, you know, it, it still needs to be pushed out more and it needs to be advocated more, not only as an individual organizations but also in education systems as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I noticed is that a lot of girls and women in Hong Kong and many other Asian countries, actually. Um, They're dissuaded from entrepreneurship because it's considered risky and Early in the days, you know, there weren't many people that or or women that you know, they could look up to um, in this industry because everyone's always talking about Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, and obviously they're all male and It didn't seem like and I think unconsciously it just didn't seem that it was a uh, a, trajectory Kind of journey that females could or or should be going to mm. um, but now it's, it's different um, we're seeing more female entrepreneurs in a global stage albeit it's still very um small i mean even when it comes down to fundraising um because of how different kind of women i mean i i would i advocate for equality but there's some extent still differences between male and females um, on average and you know, the way that women fundraise or or sell that product, there is still a difference there. And that's why it's part of a reason why, you know, women tend to, tend to have um, less access to capital. Um, and obviously because a lot of these VCs, you know, are run traditionally run by males as well. And angel investors are usually predominantly male too. Um, but now, you know, with that entire shift um, in that market, hopefully we'll see a... Uh, a huge change there um, and i would encourage those who are really interested in entrepreneurship to to really start early um, if you're in university now start now um, getting involved in different organizations that requires you to think of you know solving different business problems um, and there's a lot of startup events that you can join i mean just to get a taste of what it's like to think like an entrepreneur um, you have startup you can't um, and there's also Starbuck plan specifically for women Two, um, which is something that um, I was I joined um, before Plan two as well. and, and it was a really um, great experience. And it's also about kind of in the way you think, detailing you know um, in your daily life, if you notice there is a problem, then in something you do, how would you solve it? It's just having that mentality, mm-hmm. of just adapting to it, being comfortable, with thinking that way, and then um, you know, when you think it's something that's suitable for you, just go for it. It's better to start early than do it when you're thirties or forties.
0: Right. So to keep having, um, confidence in, in yes. yourself and yeah. keep learning because everyone can learn, everyone can, can develop from, yeah. from who you are right now, who you are in the filter. You, you will never know you have to exactly. do it yourself. Right? And, and
1: I think one thing is that, you know, Sometimes women are discouraged because stats say certain things like men are better than at doing certain things. Um, It's not true. Mm. It's just that um, these, these, a lot of these don't actually have data back. it's just an impression. Right, right. Um, And at the same time, you know, you don't, when we, in the past you didn't have enough data points to actually measure this. But um, as you get more data points, you learn that actually women can do just as well if not
0: better right so keep up women Uh (laughs) well uh, we have another question from from jay yeah uh, so jay would like to have your advice on on career planning and and to share uh your own experience on on career planning and as a student any advice for for jay please
1: Mm -hmm. so um i i okay so for me personally (laughs) um it's you can't plan things that Without having experience, so I would say that um, first thing as a student is really explore as many things as possible when you have time. So if you're, let's say, uh, I'll give myself as an example. Um, if you're a business faculty person, explore different things that you could potentially pursue with this degree, or like entrepreneurship, or uh, even um, if, you're, if you if you want to do investment banking or asset management you know explore as many as you can don't just say oh because people say you should do this you just follow that i think that's really important because that's the mistake i made that i didn't explore things earlier for me back in university the only thing that thing that i did explore was entrepreneurship which i didn't deliberately go into um, because i made the mistake of following you know what people said to go into finance and accounting Um, but i think it's important to explore that earlier and learn more about what entails the results, talk to more people, you know, socialize with people who are in these different industries to understand what is more suitable for you, because in in this journey, you'll understand not only more about what these jobs entail, but you understand more about whether or not you like it. Um, A lot of people are forced into doing certain things because society tells them to do it, because it seems like a natural trajectory. Um, Now it's not the case. Um, You would learn that because you have so many resources online. You have so many opportunities to network, even via Zoom, cross-border. You should explore more. And um, after that, you know, knowing what your opportunities are, your options are, you lower down, you filter out, you know, what you want to do and then get, let's say, um, uh, an internship opportunity or even pro bono services just to get an idea on what it's like to do it and then, um, yeah, and, and, and plan towards that based on, based on these experiences. Oh, and also, I would advise if you have access to mentors, get a mentor as well. Um, I think university like when I was in university, there wasn't mentors, but when I was in, let's say, HSBC, they actually had mentors that we can talk to. So if you have access to that, definitely do it. I know not many people utilize it, but it's super important. Because it helps you, especially when you're lost. Mm.
0: Okay, so uh, move on to the next questions. Um, do you have any lesson from from your childhood that you still carry with you, and and that lesson uh, people can learn from?
1: Oh, okay. Um, I think uh, one lesson I learned is that. Um, like you shouldn't give. Up, like, this it's pretty cliche, but um, <laughs> like don't under, Really, like don't underestimate yourself. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but but it's it's cliche, but it's true. Um, my my childhood experiences have taught me that um, taught me to not give up easily because I was forced to not to do that because I had experienced so many changes um, in my life. Um, and as long as you put your mind to it, obviously you're more likely to su- succeed. What I noticed was that um, for those people who kind of maybe just grew up in the same place, um, a lot of them are are, tend to be, you know, more risk averse, um, and um, they are essentially, you know, uh, give up quite easy when they notice that something is hard. And I think it's important, especially in this day and age where a lot of things are shifting really fast, that you know to persist um, and that you can do it. Um, I think that's. That's super important.
0: Mm-hmm. Any experience in the past that that well, you you use this this lesson of yours, like oh, you don't yeah. give up.
1: Uh-huh. Well, I, I, back in when I first, um, so I grew up in Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, UK, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. And one of the biggest challenges I faced was uh, going to Taiwan from the UK, not knowing any Chinese. So I spoke mm-hmm. it, but I didn't know how to read and write. And I went to a local school in Taiwan. And that year, I mean, my parents and I ha- could not have guessed that during that year, I was able to learn so much Chinese and at the same time take a public exam. And um, wow. I did pretty decently, I mean, Chinese literature, not so much, but um, in other courses that say math or physics, you know, I adapted well. and. And there is, for me, that experience kind of taught me that, you know, as long as you put your mind into it, I mean, try try your best, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. The idea here is just don't give up just because you feel like, oh, it's difficult or hard because you never know.
0: All right. Uh, so lastly, the last questions for today. Um, what advice would you give to younger generations to find their purpose and to keep pursuing their personal goals?
1: Um, I mean, like I mentioned before, um, it's the advice that um, or, or the thought that I shared was that it's important to actually expose yourself to new things mm-hmm. and um, you know, go beyond your comfort zone because that's a way for you to understand yourself more, um, understand what you want in life And what your purpose is Um, because if you stay in the same place um, what you're comfortable with you never learn new things and you could never learn what you you don't know so um, staying out of your comfort zone is is important and but at the same time you know um, like everybody says uh, pursue what you're interested what you believe in but at the same time there is also a need to be a bit practical where you should have a backup plan where um, if let's say your goal is to go into something that requires you to let's say entrepreneurship like it requires you to to take on some risk um, because if you ha- it's not because um, you know you think that you'll fail but with a backup plan you're more likely to be more comfortable with pursuing what you personally love and not be worried about oh what if I fail or anything it's, it's about that ment the impact it has on your mental mentality and um, you know this this like, taking out that stress is really important for you in succeeding and focusing on what you really want to do
0: okay thank you very much Jessica thank I you. I believe all the audience have have learned a lot about you uh, have learned all the lessons from from your journey and I hope everyone are inspired from 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 you so thank you very thank much you. for everyone thank you very much. Thank you uh have a good day and you have too. a great weekend thank you bye see you later bye bye